Acts chapter 6, and we're, um, looking, at, we're looking at a series um, uh, reviewing the book of Acts, and we started New Year's, and I think instead of focusing on what our church does and what our church's vision is and how great our church is or those kind of things in a vision casting Time, I think it's better to look at the first church and just see what God is doing in the first church because the first church is us. That is the church of Christ. And so let's back up a little bit. Um, Acts chapter 4, we see, Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit come into uh, to indwell the church for the first time in human history since the fall of Adam. Adam and Eve sinned, and then God could no longer dwell in man because of sin. And then when Christ died for sin in the flesh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, at that moment, God could send his Holy Spirit into our physical bodies. And that's why Acts chapter 2 is so amazing, because we read about how the Holy Spirit rushes into a room of believers with Christ, and he is just, he cannot wait to enter into and indwell us. Isn't it amazing? Angels don't dwell inside of us, the Holy Spirit does. And... That's Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, we see God begin to move. We begin to see people getting saved. We begin to see the church grow as the Lord would have it grow. And then Acts chapter 4, we see everyone is sharing everything. There is this community. And so when there's a community of grace, and when there's a community of love, where unconditional love, but no one is being judged. No one is being judged. People walk through, every one of us that walk through those doors have an inner struggle that nobody knows about. And this is a judge-free zone. Because all of our sins were judged 2,000 years ago. We're here just to proclaim the gospel of what Jesus has already done. And to, to see people get set free. That's Acts chapter 4. We see everybody kind of... We see um, a businessman, a wealthy businessman. His name was Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. He brings uh, land, uh, the funds that he had sold land for. And brings it to the church. And lays it at the apostles' feet. You would, have, you would do that today and you would be called a cult. Right? I mean, I don't know, at least in the Northeast where I'm from. You, you sell your land and you give it to the church. That's, people are going to call you a cult. Here, I don't think, maybe, I don't know if that's the way it is down here or not. And that, so in Acts chapter 4, we see like every, that great grace is on the church. Great grace. Mega grace. And that's why we call ourselves Evergrace. And we're from greater grace. And that's why we use those kind of superlative words. Because in the Greek, it says in, in James chapter 4, it says that, um, the humble will receive greater grace. And when we humble ourselves, we're going to receive more grace in the time of need. That's Acts chapter 4. Great grace is on the church. God's moving. And then Acts chapter 5, we see, we see an interesting situation where, where with every great move of God, there's always the reaction of the devil. The devil is not ahead of the move of God. The devil is only reacting to what God is doing. Because the devil is never, the devil really never fully knows what God is doing because he's always trying to He's always trying to second-guess what God's plan is. And so in Acts chapter 5, we have Ananias and Sapphira actually come in with, with a lie. They're lying to the church saying, hey, we sold the land for this much, and we're giving it to the church. And it was just a big display of, of hypocrisy. And God dealt with that in a very severe way. Why? Because God just does not want hypocrisy to be in the same environment as great grace. And then we see um, in Acts chapter 6... Um, we see where we are right now. We see something really cool happen. 
Uh, and we again see the same theme as, as the, a giving church. So let's just read these verses. I want to go through verses 1 through 7, kind of talk with you through those verses and kind of pull apart um, some of the meaning here and really dig into some really uh, treasure, treasurable stuff. In verse 1 of chapter 6 of Acts, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, Okay, who's increasing in numbers? Who? It's very easy. What's the word there? Disciples. Disciples. Right? Church attendance, membership. No, disciples are increasing. That's really what, that's what, because there's Christians and there's disciples in the New Testament. One is not better than the other, but we do see the demarcation. Disciples are growing. We know that there's 3,000 getting saved and there's 5,000 getting saved. But there's a group of people called disciples that are being discipled. And they're increasing in number. A complaint. Okay? We see the first internal conflict in a church. A complaint by the Hellenists. Who are the Hellenists? Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews that lived in Jerusalem at the time. They were Jews that had come out of, that had been born in the that had been born in Greek-speaking countries around the Roman Empire, and they came to Jerusalem, okay? So they're Greek-speaking, okay? They're Greek speakers. In Jerusalem, they were, they were Hebrew speakers, but they also spoke Aramaic. And so when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, so the Greeks have a complaint about what's happening in the church, arose against the Hebrews. Why? Because their, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Widows here, their husbands have died. They're probably older. Uh, they, you know, they don't have a lot of um, means to help themselves because their, their, their husband is gone. And so they're not getting the care. The word here is, being negle- is, is described as neglect. Not purposeful neglect, possibly, but just overlooked. And so the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, we see here in the first church racial tension. Okay, we don't talk a lot about racial tension in our church here, but it is something that we do. I do want to address here briefly. They were being they were being neglected in the daily distribution. What is the daily distribution here that's going on? Well, what was happening was is that the people were giving to the church. They were not giving necessarily to a building fund for the church, which is cool. That's great. They were not giving to uh, the pastor's new car or the pastor's new jet. They were giving to the daily needs of the widows, and those that were hard hit in the community. And so they were giving, and every day there was this, and I don't know how they did it, but they had a daily distribution of food and supplies and things that would help these, these widows and other, the poor and then the orphan and others. There was a daily thing going on. That's a great idea, isn't it? That would be cool. Yeah. That would be cool to have something like that in Evergrace, where we have a daily place where we're, we're meeting together, and God's going to do it. And we can have like we can have like a place like a coffee place or something, but also like a zone where people could come in and just get counseled, to get loved on, to pour out their hearts, and also to like to find out how they can get helped in their situations. And so these these Greek speaking Jews are not getting the support and the attention that they need. Okay? Racial attention. How many of you have been in a room where people are speaking a language that you don't understand and then everybody starts laughing and you're kind of like standing like, hey. Okay. I've been there. I, I lived overseas. And it can, be, it can be offensive. It can be... Or how about how many of you have been in a situation where because you're, of your language you're speaking or just, where, just because of where you're from, you don't feel like you're getting the attention. 
That's not a great feeling, and that's not the, great, that's not the heart of God. This is what's happening in the first church. And it's funny, because look, people look at the first church and they say, this was perfect, they were without sin, no problems. No, right at the beginning, Acts chapter 5, we have people lying. Acts chapter 6, we see racial tension. And what's God's heart here in, in, the, in this situation? So what happens is, is that in verse um, 2, the 12, the 12, the 12 disciples. Now, when it says the 12 here, it means that this is a very serious situation, that all of the 12 all 12 apostles meet together and they say, hey, we've got to deal with this situation. And they, they pull together the full number of the disciples and said, I love this, because when churches face problems, many times internally, they just attack each other. They just bite and devour and they just hurt each other. And what happens here is that these leaders, these apostles, these men with pastors' hearts know the situation. Instead of blaming people, they pull together and they say, um, it is not right. And this is what they say. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. You get that? It is not right that we should give up preaching the word and to serve tables. What do they mean by that? Well, there's two words in the Greek here. There's the word here in, Act, in verse 1. And it says, the Hellenists were complaining because their widows were being neglected. And then we see the same word again in the, in, in the same sense. But in a stronger sense, in the next verse, verse 2, it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the Word of God and serve tables. Now, as a pastor and as leaders, do we believe in servant leadership? Yes, we believe that as a pastor that we are called to be servants, that we serve people. I'm never going to be in a place where I can't help somebody, set up chairs or whatever. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I don't even think about that. But what they're saying here is, is that it is not right for us that we would neglect the word of God. Neglect is the word here. It's a stronger word than neglecting the, 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 the Hellenist Jews, the Greek Jews, uh, Greek widows. It's a stronger word. They're saying it's not right for us to give up the word and our ministry of the word that we would go and take care of this daily distribution. And daily distribution included money as well. Um, they said it's not right for us to do that. Why is that not right? Because there's a priorities. There are priorities in, um, as a pastor, uh, there are priorities in my life where, for me, what is most important, and I was thinking about this this morning and yesterday, what is the most important for, for me, thing for me as a pastor and for my wife um, here ministering and the ministry that we've done overseas? It's really that we would attend to the Word of God and that we would study the Word, that we would be faithful to the Word, and that we would be fellowshipping with the Word, and that the Word of God would have deep root in our hearts. And I'm not talking about knowledge. I'm talking about the living Word, Jesus Christ. And that is the priority. He said it's not right for us, because here's what can happen in ministry, especially in a small church like ours, okay, that's just getting going. We could get so wrapped up in programs and details, and this has got to get done, and where's all the lyrics, and, you know, <laughs> candles are amazing back there. They're doing all that. And we could get so we could get so burnt out with like, like these little details, and then miss the whole point. The point of the church is the word and fellowshipping around Christ, right? Amen. Because because if I give Colton my flesh and my talents and my my cool programs, does that encourage Colton? No, it doesn't. I mean, it may be cool. Colton may be stimulated, but what does Colton and every one of us in this room need? We need you to give me Christ. We need Christ. We need the word, not my. Not my opinions and not my, not my talents, 
not anything else. The church needs the pastor to be in the Word of God. And I'm not saying, hey, I'm not going to be helping. I'm just saying that, that as a pastor, my priority is the Word of God. And, and I need to be in the Word. I need to study the Word. Because if I don't have something to give to you, then I'm giving you spiritual fast food, which may be stimulating, but it's not going to keep and, and, and bless anybody. And so they said it's not right. Because here's what the devil can do. The devil can just throw a lot of good stuff at somebody to get them so distracted from the primary focus of the ministry. What's our ministry? It's the Word. We're ministering the Word. We're ministering Christ. That's our ministry. That's the, that's, it's a Christ-centered, Word of God-centered ministry. And, and by the way, every time, and you're going to see this later on in the book of Acts, if you're reading this with me, is that every time the Word of God increases, so do the disciples. And so do miracles. And so do, the, so do incredible moves of God happen. This is, this is the formula. Word of God increases. The body's coming together, and God is on the move. And so they said, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. And he's saying, okay, pick seven men. Why seven and not 12? Well, seven in the Hebrew culture always, or in that culture, always represented to, was a number that was used to, um, in public organizations, as a committee to, to take care of a duty or a need that was at hand. Pick seven men among you. Now, who, is, who are the disciples talking to? The disciples are talking to the Hebrews, right? To the Hebrews. They're saying, okay, you Hebrew, I'm sorry, to the Hellenists, to the Greeks. The apostles are saying to the Greeks, you guys pick from among you Greeks that are Greek speaking, that can be, that are men of repute, that can, that can take care of this duty. And so what does this repute mean? Repute means it's, repute refers to character and not talent. Okay? Repute or reputation is referring to character. Um, I think some of, the, some, of the, some of the most frustrating things that we face sometimes is when you have somebody that's extremely talented but just, has no, but just doesn't have any godly character. That's very hard to work with because there's just no commitment and there's just no, there's just no discipleship. It's just talent. And by the way, if I'm a talented person, God's going to address those talents and he's going to say, um, you know, because we have to be careful. The thing that I can do the best and the easiest and that I'm the strongest in usually is that area of my life that I'm not looking at as something that could deceive me. And so God here is looking for character. And that's beautiful because if you're here today and you don't think you're a very talented person, that's wonderful. Great. <laughs> you, you know, you're qualified. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, it says, just be faithful. Just be faithful. And it says here right after that, that. Take seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means that they're walking with God in the Spirit. They're filled with the Spirit. Now, I know that there's times in my life, and I'm sure in your life, where you're not always walking filled with the Spirit. But we can, in Ephesians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 6, we can be, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we can be renewed in the Spirit of our mind. These are men that are walking in the Spirit. They're not walking in the flesh. These are spiritual people. Now, what they're talking about here is there's a need in the body that's causing racial tension, and this racial tension needs to be addressed by spiritual leaders and not be blamed. And he said, raise up these seven men who, are, who have character and not necessarily talented. They may be talented, but have character and that are full of spirit and wisdom. Wisdom. My wife and I have a friend, he's a businessman in Ukraine, and uh, he's just always got a lot going on. I talked to him this week, and um, 
I always ask him, what can I pray for for you? What can I pray for for you? He's, he's visited our church here once. Um, and he said, pray for wisdom. Because he said, if I have wisdom, I have everything. Is that a good answer? What do we need more than anything? That's the whole story of the book of Proverbs, wisdom. If I have wisdom, I'm going to know, I'm going to have everything I need. Why? I'm going to know how to define my needs. What's true need and what's not true need. What's felt need and what's spiritual need. These men needed to have character. They needed to have, they needed to walk in the spirit, walking controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by their flesh. And they also needed to be people that had walked in wisdom, a point to this duty. I love this because the church is looking at the Greeks who are at this point offended and asking them, hey, you guys raise up some men among you to help take care of this situation. I think in some organizations, uh, it might be a different approach that could cause actually more conflict. And so, and then verse four, it says, but we, and the apostles of 12 are saying, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Devote. I mean, when you hear that word devote, what do you think of? What's the picture in your mind of devotion? Okay, I think we all have a mental picture of what that looks like. This word devote here is an interesting word in the original language in Greek. And what it means is, it means just to show up and be there. (laughs) It just means to show up. It just means that you're there and you're just present and... You're, you're just showing up. It's kind, of, it's kind of an anticlimactic word. We're thinking of devotion as like, okay, I love Jesus. I love God. I love this church. I love everybody. I'm going to really, I'm working really, really hard. And I've got all my emotion in this. And I've got all my might and everything. And guess what happens? That only lasts for a little while because then eventually you run out of that. Well, one day we wake up and we don't want to go to church. And we're like, okay, I don't want to go to church. Or we're struggling with something. Or like we don't want to go to midweek fellowship. Devotion here means they're just showing up. Look, the, the apostle is saying, look, we're going to show up. We're going to open our Bibles and we're going to be in prayer. And this word devotion here is a beautiful word because it's used very often in the book of Acts. And he said, we're going to devote ourselves to the prayer first and to the ministry of the word. This is what I think that the United States needs. This is what Texas needs. This is what Houston needs. Men of God that are devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. And I'm not here to be Mr. Critic because I'm not. I've got some great pastors here. Uh, I was just thinking about this morning about the church, Woods Edge Church, and Pastor Jeff Wells there. I mean, what a sweet man of God over there. He's just, you know, he struggles with OCD. And uh, it's, it, with him, it's like either God or nothing. And I just, you know, there's another pastor um, that I know who's helped this church out a lot. Um, and he has a heart condition. He's the pastor of Houston Northwest. It's a Baptist church. And his, his heart condition is that he could die any second. The, at his honeymoon, he was with his wife. They were on their honeymoon. He had a massive heart attack. They rushed him to the hospital. And the doctor said, we're sorry to tell you this, but you have a heart condition that your heart could stop at any second with no warning at any time. And you could just be dead. And so every minute for his life is like, you know, he's, you know, he's living for God. That's really cool. And he's a, he's a pastor of the church, and, and they're doing some really sweet things. Um, they said here that we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. We need men of God today that can, that can go to somebody's door, that can talk to somebody at their workplace who's struggling with sin or struggling in their marriage and have a one-on-one conversation. We need men of God that can be bold and preach the word of God. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's the primary work of the pastor. My primary work is prayer 
and ministry of the word. And what is the ministry of the word? I think it's two forms. Number one, it's evangelism. I, as a pastor, need to evangelize. If I'm a pastor and I don't evangelize, something's really wrong. Okay, that's the way I think, personally. If I'm not actively sharing my faith with people, it doesn't mean I have to do it every day, every moment, and just be driven about it. Because if I'm driven, then I can't be led by the Holy Spirit. But like, I need to be a person who is sharing the gospel with people. If I'm a pastor, and I'm preaching myself today, not to you guys, just let me preach myself. If I'm a pastor, I'm not evangelizing. There's a big, I, number one, I don't know what, I don't, if I'm not in my community, I don't know what the community needs. You know what I'm saying? Right? Does that make sense to you? Like, if I'm not in the community, I don't know what people need. I'm preaching messages that are not relevant, right? Maybe they're relevant in some religious circles, but I'm not hitting the, I'm not preaching messages that are hitting the target. And so I need to be evangelizing. And when we go on Saturdays, and if you can't make it, don't condemn yourself. I, I'm just there personally because I need to be there. I feel like I'm doing the best spiritually if I'm sharing the gospel with people. And if it's not Saturday, then it's other days of the week. I know that many of you are sharing Christ with people. But when we share our faith intentionally with somebody and we share the gospel with them. And by the way, giving somebody a track is not sharing the gospel. It's, that's great. We do that. But sharing the gospel is when I'm taking the gospel and I'm intentionally sharing it. Tonight, my wife's going to be speaking to... Be praying for my wife because she's going to be speaking to... How many ladies? 100? Probably 100 women that are, that are Muslims. They're Arabic speakers. Something just happened this week where we, we, we went into... We go to this restaurant. We like, we like um, Middle Eastern food. On, there's a place called Zara's on Reefer Road. And we go in there, we eat, and we know that... You know, so what we like to do is we like to... Find these little circles and just camp out there and minister to people. And we've had a relationship with the owners there for about two or three years or more. Yeah, three years. And the owners, the owner, she's a single mom, she's a Muslim, uh, calls my wife for prayer. She just says, hey, I need prayer. And she's a Muslim. And you go in there and there's like the Quran everywhere. There's a little mosque in the corner of the back where they pray. And one time I went back there, it was in the afternoon. I had taken a friend there. And I'm looking in that little mosque in the back. There was an imam, fully dressed in there, teaching the Quran on the floor with a kid, a little kid. And we're in there. And this woman is just pouring her heart out to my wife. And so one time when I'm in there picking up some food, and it's halal. Halal is the same thing as kosher, I think, pretty much. And so there's some benefits to that, you know, that's... Anyway, but we're not stuck to that. And so I'm picking this food up, and there's this woman there, and she's got, I think I told the story, she's got a hijab on, and she's kind of short, and she's got these kid, her kids around her, really good-looking guys, kids, you know, like, you know, in, their, in their early, their late teens, early 20s, and I'm just waiting for the food, and it's kind of taking some time, and so she asked me something, I said, oh, you must be new here, and she goes, yeah, I'm new, she goes, I'm from Libya, and um, I'm the... I am the, I'm the daughter, I was a, I'm the daughter of an ambassador to Poland. I go, oh my gosh, it's my wife. My wife's in the car with her kid, with our kid. And I get my wife in here, and so she's sharing with me, and she says, yeah, I was like, I said, that's amazing. And she, and she speaks English very well. She's an American citizen, actually. And she, she was telling me these stories, like these hair-raising stories, like in, in 15 minutes. Like, and she said, my country's a mess. She goes, there's actually two Libyas right now because of politics, because of certain politicians that have come in and caused all this confusion, and now this country's a disaster, and we're now at war with each other, and now different countries are bring, sending in weapons to, to um, cause more war. And she goes, 
she goes, I was working for um, the Red Cross. Red Cross, she was, I, I was at a, she was, I was working with a bunch of folks in the Red, at, in Benghazi. And she said, um, she goes, one day I'm looking out the window, doing something at my desk, and across the street, on the same, the same um, floor as where I was, there was a guy that <laughs> got down with an RPG, <laughs> And with a grenade launcher and got down on his knee was like ready to shoot and she jumped up and she goes run bomb and she goes she cleared out the place and then seconds later the whole place blew up and she saved all of her staff workers and, and she goes yeah and then just a few weeks later I was contacted by the embassy the US embassy in Benghazi and that's by the way where we lost our ambassador in Benghazi and I was supposed to work for ambassador Chris which was the man who lost his life and she goes I was supposed to be his I was supposed to be on his personal staff. Two weeks later, um, the, whole, the whole embassy is invaded and um, everybody is killed. And I wasn't there yet. And I said, I said, I think God has really had his hand on you and he's protecting you from a lot of things. She goes, yes, I really believe in God. And when you say that, you don't know if they're talking about Allah or they're talking about what are they talking about. But there's a lot of Muslims that are really seeking God <coughs> And they think it's Allah, but it's not Allah, it's Jesus Christ. And they're really seeking God. And there's a guy who used to live in Houston who died recently, and he wrote a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Great book. If you ever, ever can read it, it gives you a lot of insight on the way Muslims think. And so I'm, sharing, I'm talking with her, and I'm getting, I'm getting the point, I'm getting the understanding, this is a God appointment. So I'm listening to her, and I said, okay, let me get my wife in here. She's going to, you know, and so I call Gosha in, and Gosha starts talking with her, and, she, and then my wife goes to her house for like three hours and just pouring to her. And it's not like preaching at her, but just kind of being there. And, and, and this woman, her name is Hala. Be praying for Hala. That's her name. Uh, she's a Libyan, and she has all these kids, and um, she's just trying to get her life going. She's been here for a few months only. And she said to my wife, when your husband walked in, uh, I knew, and he starts, I knew this was God. That's what, that was her testimony. And so that's amazing. I don't know what, what that means or what, what's going to happen with that. So my, wife's, so my wife's through Hala is just, now she has an opportunity to, related to her work, uh, she's going to be speaking to 100 women on the phone today, and they're all Arabic speakers from all over the United States. So it's a Facebook group called um, Arab Moms or something like that. Arabic Moms. Arabic Moms in the U.S. And so my wife's had some opportunities to minister to Orthodox Jews and to... Um, Iranians, and she's prayed with Orthodox Jews who cannot say the name of Jesus. They just cannot say it. And then um, Muslims. That's amazing. That's ministry. That's, that's ministry. And ministry is, is what, because the end goal in ministry, it may take us 10 years to get there, but it's to develop relationships so that we can share Christ and see them, see them accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. That's our goal. And this is what they're doing here. They are, they, are, they are ministering the word. So ministry of the word is the first thing is evangelism. It means I'm just going to minister. What's the word? I'm not sitting down. So I'm going to say, okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to take notes. That's great. Okay, we need that. But on the other hand, people just need like Job. Okay, you know what evangelism is? Evangelism is like when I come along somebody, aside somebody, sometimes it's, confront, it's, sometimes it's one-on-one intentional, immediate, hey, I'm going to share the gospel right now with you. Because in 30 seconds, I don't know if I'm going to ever see you again. Then there's other times where we have long-term relationships where we're just building relationships. That's what we're doing here in Shenandoah in the Woodlands. We're build, building. And by the way, there's a lot going on in this church outside of Sundays. 
by the way. I mean, there's a lot of amazing things going on. I wish I could sit down and just share everything that's going on, people that we're meeting, and just incredible things that are going on. We're here for two hours on Sunday, Saturdays, and I'm not going to preach two hours if you're new here. But we're here for only two hours, and then the rest of the week, we're like the church outside the walls. We're on fire. We're, we're ministering the word evangelism. I just I got to say evangelism. It's like, I mean, it may scare the wits out of you, but it's okay. Just go with somebody, hang out with them, watch them how they do it, and just tell someone, hey, you know what? I'm a, I'm a believer, and Jesus has done a lot for me. That's the, just a great start. And, and I, I guarantee you it's going to change your Christianity. The second thing, the ministry of the word is teaching. It's just teaching. It's Sunday mornings. It's getting together for house church. It's getting together for um, Bible school. We want to start in the next few weeks when we can nail down the place where we're going to have it. That's the ministry of the word. That's my primary responsibility. I owe you the word. Okay, As a pastor, this is what I owe you. I owe you the word and I owe this neighborhood the gospel. Does it make sense? I may not be able to meet all of your needs um, in every way, socially or financially, but I, can, I owe you the word of God, as it says here, as Paul said many times. And so we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Notice prayer first. Prayer. We have someone in the room here. I'm not going to point to them. She's a, well, now you know who it is. It's a girl. Um, when we, have, we had our first meeting here in September, uh, she followed me out to the parking lot. And she said, God, you're this, you, this church is an answer to prayer in the school. We've been praying. We've been praying and praying that a church would open up in this school. Prayer makes, it just, somebody said it this way. Prayer is not twisting God's arm, but when you, and they said it this way, when you pray, and I don't even think that this person was a believer. They said, when I pray, I find there's a lot more coincidences happening. <laughs> when you pray, when you spend time in prayer. And so prayer is amazing. Prayer is amazing. And by the way, what, when somebody asks me, what do I need? Um, somebody texted me this morning from, from the East Coast, and they said, I'm praying for you. I said, that's, that's exactly what I need. I need prayer. Prayer and full of wisdom, walking in the Spirit, devoting themselves to the ministry of the Word. And in verse 5, look at verse 5 with me, and I'm going to wrap this up. And when they said that, the whole gathering, they were pleased. What does it say, Pleased. You know, as a church, our goal is not really to please people. I mean, we want to see people happen, happy. But that word in the Greek really speaks about a resolving of the issue. It says that there is a oneness of mind. We may not please everybody. I mean, people may come and, and may say, my needs are not being met. Great, it's fine. I mean, we don't claim to be able to meet everybody's needs. And um, we only say that we're going to be obedient to be faithful to the ministry of the word to you. And to God's mind. And it pleased them. They were satisfied. They were blessed. And the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen. Now they choose, choose seven men. Two of these men, Stephen and Philip, we read a lot about later. We're going to read about in Stephen in later in, in chapter 6. We're not going to be able to get to it today. Stephen here is a great man of God. He is preaching. He is doing ministry. He's not an apostle. He's not even, a, he's not even like an elder. But he is this man that is, that is serving. Sometimes people say, well, ministry is for the pastor or for the church leaders or for the women's ministry. Or Here, Stephen here, is a, he is a part of the church. He's a disciple. They choose him. They choose Philip, which is, he just is an amazing evangelist. And we see Philip in Acts chapter 21, right at the end of the book of Acts. And guess what? Philip gets to, gets to um, host the apostle Paul. And his team. Isn't that cool? In Acts chapter 21. So Paul is traveling. And there's this little verse there. It says, and we stopped at, at Philip's house with his four daughters who were just, you know, they were, they were spreading the gospel. And so Philip and Stephen. And then there's um, 
There is five other names here that we don't ever read about in the New Testament ever again. We don't really see them. There, maybe they're Nicanor. Maybe there is a there is a there's a theory there that he might have been involved with something later on in church history, but we don't know that for sure. Why is that important? Because you know something. This chapter is talking about ministry. And it's okay if our names are not written down. It's okay if we're silent servants. It's okay. It's really good. It's fine. This is, this is the way it goes. This chapter here sometimes is used in church, in churches to, to talk about what is a deacon. Ever hear of what a deacon is? A deacon? Actually, the Greek word deacon, the English word deacon comes from the Greek, which means diakonos, which actually means, it's two words in the Greek. It means through the dust. Just messy work. It just means you're getting, rolling up your sleeves, you're, you're sweeping the floor, changing trash, changing diapers, you're in the sunny school, you're shaking hands, you're making coffee. It's just a deacon, the work of a deacon. But deacons here are, later, Stephen and Philip, they're preachers. They also preach. So it's a guy that can sweep the floor, and he can also preach the gospel. Isn't that awesome? Deacons here, but we don't see that word deacon here in, the, in, in chapter. We don't see that Greek word deacon in, as a noun but we see it as a verb, meaning this, is that it doesn't necessarily have to describe the office of a deacon. It's just talking about ministry, diakonos. Just don't, ministry is, is just going through the dust. Sometimes it gets dirty, and, and that's fine, because when we, when we see, when we, you know, when we have worship leaders here, when we have people doing, doing the kids, we got Miss Daphne and Marsha and Candace, and just um, my wife and Anna Maria are in there, um, that's very sacred. That's, that's really good. For us, it's more important character than talent. I think we have a lot of talent. But I think what we talk about here is, is like, let's have, let's have character. People that are walking with God during the week. If I'm a Sunday school teacher and I'm not walking with God during the week, what am I going to give these kids, right? I need to walk with God during the week. If I'm a pastor and I preach once a week, if I'm not walking with God every day, then what am I going to give people? You know what I'm saying? And the same thing. Jeff does a great job with our worship. Uh, he walks with God, you know. He's very talented and very outgoing when he's walking with God. I think what's more important than talent is really character. Is really character. Walking with God by faith. Let's wrap this up. And, they, and these were set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. So they lay their hands on them. This is something you see in the New Testament. Apostles and leaders laying hands on people. Today it has become, unfortunately, something that has become uh, very um, abused. And uh, something sensational. But laying on of hands in the, in the Bible meant three things. Number one, it just meant recognition. Like, hey, I'm recognizing you. Uh, we're recognizing you as a, as a body of people. And guess what? The, the, the Greeks picked these men out. And they were all Greek, by the way. All their names are Greek. That's pretty cool. And so the apostles say, okay, these guys, these are, these are men that are full of wisdom, full of spirit, and that walk with character. We're going to lay hands on them. The second thing means recognition. The second thing it means is identification. And this is very important, identification. When a pastor or someone lays hands on someone, it just means, you know what, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, it means identity. It's like, suppose this is a person, a skinny person. To say like, hey, you know what, I'm with you. You know, I'm with you. And um, I'm with you in this. I'm identifying with you on this. And, you know, I'm praying with you. The third, the, the third thing it means is delegation appointment, that we are appointing this person. It doesn't mean a transferal magic power, you know, like sometimes you see on TV. There's nothing magic going on there. 
nor is it something that is required for ministry. And so verse 7, and we'll close with this verse, and the word of God continued to increase. Okay, the word of God continued to increase. That Greek word there is oxano, it means to grow. It just means to grow. Like, you know, I meet with some of you guys during the week, and I love it because, we're, you know, we're just weird people. We bring our Bibles to, <laughs> to a coffee shop, you know. It's just weird, you know. We're like, we're talking about God, you know. And, and so when the word of God increases, and so like, you know, we're not, I'm not very occupied. And, you know, I'm new to Texas still kind of. And there's a lot of talk here about church growth and church multiplication. And that's really cool. But I think the greatest way for church growth and multiplication to happen is for the word to just increase. In our conversations, like, you know, when I sit down with someone, we were with this lady yesterday in her, in her, in her apartment. Her name is Michelle. And we were just talking there. And I, we were, I had to go, but I was like, you know what? I don't want to leave here without sharing the word with her. So I shared with her something about the battle. When the word of God increases, when it grows, then the, then the number of the disciples multiply greatly. Discipleship happens when the word of God happens. Okay? Does that make sense? And so church growth in the book of Acts is defined by the word of God growing. There's fellowship going on. There's laid down lives. There's ministry happening. Why? Because of love. Because we're in an environment of love that God has recklessly loved us before time began. And when we can grasp that and when broken people in the woodlands can grasp that, I told you a couple weeks ago, I sat down with a real estate guy, very wealthy guy in Carlton Woods, sat down with him. I was, I'm an IT guy part-time during the week and I was servicing his laptop and he was just dropping these F-bombs everywhere. And then afterwards he hangs up and he goes, and I look at him, I just kind of chuckled and he turns on this Christian music, right? Did I tell you this story? I told you the story, right? Turns on this Christian music and I go, Wow, like, is that, do you like this music? And he goes, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian, but I'm just really backsliding in my life. And I began to talk with him. And within minutes, we just, he had tears in his eyes. And, um, you know, people need Christ. And as we shared the word, he's going to meet up with us. And it says here, and the great many of the priests. This is really cool. Great many of the priests, the Jewish priests, became believers. That's incredible, isn't it? These were men like Zacchaeus, who was a priest in the temple, who, 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 um, who, whose wife bore John the Baptist, became believers. I think that when we get to focus right, when our priorities are right, and we're not busy with the wrong thing, okay, we're not busy with, because America, our culture, you know what the problem with our culture is? Distraction. We got so much going on. We got so much to do. We got to do this. We got to go over there. And my wife and I were talking about it like, we are just simplifying, simplifying, simplifying everything because I want to have time for what's more important, the most important, which is my family, discipling my wife and my son and, and ministering to, um, to this church and to the community that we're in. And so I think that if that's our focus, if that's our priority, then we're, and, and the word of God is going to be growing, then we're going to see discipleship happen. And discipleship doesn't happen on the first floor. It happens on the second floor, which is the upper room fellowship with God. Amen. Let's just close in prayer.